Welcome to Unsolicited Book Reviews with Michael McBride. That's me! I read a lot of books and sometimes people ask for recommendations. No one explicitly asked me to review these books in particular, which is why they're Unsolicited Book Reviews. They just happen to be ones I enjoyed recently. I read across genres and really whatever happens to come across my path. Sometimes it's a book mentioned within another book that I'm currently reading. Other times it's from an interview with an author or just a new book from a favorite author. And sometimes someone else recommended I read the book for whatever reason. Often if that's the case, I've forgotten where the recommendation came from by the time I get around to reading it. Oops, each episode is going to have somewhere between three and five reviews and be roughly five minutes long each, give or take. Good? Let's go! Uh, today's book is The Sky Vault by Benjamin Percy. Um, and look at the cover, first of all. I, I don't know, I just love the design. Um, if you don't know Ben Percy, he... Is originally from Portland and um, now lives in Minnesota, so I guess we can claim him here. And uh, he is so busy uh, writing comics and movies, whole screenplays and novels and all kinds of stuff. And um, I really enjoy his writing. It's kind of, I don't know, like a lot of people will compare him to like Stephen King in that like he does a really good job of like building characters and suspense and um, there's elements of horror and that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things I love about this uh, cycle of books, there's three books in it. Um, it begin, begins with the uh, Ninth Metal and then Unfamiliar Garden and then Sky Vault. Um, not a trilogy, but like kind of set in the same world. And kind of the idea is he's building a, a unified world that he can kind of set stories in and that kind of thing. Um, and, and I like to hope that potentially, you know, sell that IP to, um, you know, a, a TV program or network or movies or whatever. Um, who knows? But um, the basic premise is a comet flies by the earth um, and meteors fall to earth with a new metal and it has different effects uh, on the people it interacts with. And so the first one is more set in northern Minnesota. The second one is set Pacific Northwest. Um, third one is set in Alaska. And they all have different aspects of how the comet and the new metal, um, ninth metal, um, interacts with the people and their environment. So the first one is almost kind of like a superhero kind of story. Um, it's, I won't spoil anything, but it reads very quickly. Um, it's pretty interesting that way. The second one is more deals with like fungus and mushrooms, um, which I love. Um, and then Sky Vault is, um, I don't, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but, um, it's kind of time shifting or, um, kind of like a, a wormhole kind of thing that happens. And um, what I love about his writing is he does a really good job researching, it, you know, so he goes and he, he digs into this. And, you know, I think that's the best kind of science fiction or speculative fiction, whatever you want to call it, is when somebody does the research to make it as true as possible. And then you're kind of along for the ride because they're uh, so compelling and convincing that like this little jump into speculative future um, doesn't feel so exaggerated. But um, for my money, Percy writes amazing characters. Uh, prose is really tight. 
Um, he also has a, a book. Um, actually, I think my son has it right now called Thrill Me, which is a collection of essays about writing. Um, and it's, it's good. So yeah, I would definitely recommend Sky Vault. Um, this one's actually up for the Minnesota Book Award. I saw it listed on their, on their webpage. So, um, it was at least nominated for that and we'll see what happens with it. Uh, today's book is Wellness by Nathan Hill. I, I really enjoy his writing. Um, Hill also wrote, uh, the Knicks or Knicks. I can't remember if there's a the in there. I think the, um, and this is his latest one. I think came out last year or earlier, earlier this year. Um, and it's essentially about a couple late in their marriage, well, 12, 16 years in their marriage or relationship and just kind of the struggles of that. Um, it's also struggles of parenting and, um, and just, generations of kind of parenting struggles. And, um, I don't know, he does a really good job with parent, with character building and tension and backstories and creatively aligning those, um, pieces. But for me, my very favorite part of this book is this chapter called the unraveling. And I, I almost feel like it should be mandatory reading for parents. Um, I would like to say so that they can prevent some of the headaches that come from it. Um, but realistically, it's a weird thing where like you don't realize what's happening until it's over and then you can reflect on it. And so then like, even if you had this preemptively as a warning, I, I don't know that it would necessarily prevent headaches, but um, anyway, I mean, that's a long way roundabout way of talking about it, but essentially the chapter is about the mother, uh, Elizabeth, and she is trying her very best. You know, she's read all of these books and she's a scientist. And so she's read all these studies and she knows the best techniques for, you know, ensuring that, um, you know, the child is exposed to different foods, whether they like them or not multiple times. And, um, you know, how to parent and how to do all these things. And the kid is not having any of it. And, you know, it's frustrating, um, you know, and being that well-intentioned parent and then not having it work is one of the most disheartening things of parenting. And the chapter is as painful as it is funny, um, because it just spirals and, um, you know, if nothing else, I think the chapter, it's fiction, but man, it's one of the truest things about parenting I've read and I could relate with it on so many levels. Um, if nothing else, it tells you like everybody goes through this, you know, I think one of the things about parenting and a lot of the things that you maybe are a little ashamed of or embarrassed is we don't talk about those things. And so there's like this vacuum and nobody knows that other people are going through these problems or have gone through those things because nobody talks about them. And so if nothing else, the chapter the unraveling hopefully gives you comfort that like, oh no, lots of people go through this shit. Everybody does. And um, I, I do wish that there was a way in our community that we did a better job of talking about 
uncomfortable things or things that we're ashamed of so that other people will realize they're not so alone. I think we do a better job on some topics, um, but some things like parenting, I think, where you feel like intrinsically you should just get it and know better um, is one of those things people don't talk about. But anyway, the book, uh, I'll spoil it. It ends in a happy way. And um, oh, it's it's good. It made me feel it's a 600 page book, but it goes really fast. Um, I find his his writing very compelling. So I would I would definitely recommend Wellness by Nathan Hill. Today's book is 400 Souls by Ibram X. Kendi and Keisha and Blaine. Um, it's a history book and it is entirely through the lens of African and African-American experience. Um, it's written by, it, it's a series of essays. Um, and so you could read each of them individually if you wanted to, um, but they tell a story chronologically um, from 1619 when the white lion lands um, in North America and deposits 20 Africans on the shores um, all the way through 2019. And so it covers a lot of ground. Um, in fact, 400 years, thus the 400 souls, one soul for every year. Uh, that's where the title comes from. It falls into a category of books like Howard Zinn's The People's History of the United States. And actually, one of my very favorite books recently was the Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's book, um, An Indigenous People's History of the United States. Each of these books does a wonderful job of reframing the history through a different lens and, you know, looking at it um, from the standpoint of a, a marginalized group that doesn't typically get to tell its story. You know, so often this, the history of the United States is told through the European or uh, white lens. And uh, with 400 souls, you really get the perspective of uh, the African experience and African-Americans. And um, you get a, an opportunity to really learn about things that have been whitewashed over the years, just as Roxanne uh, Dunbar-Ortiz's um, does with indigenous peoples. And before that, Howard Zinn's attempts to kind of do a, a variety of, um, well, tries to touch on everybody who has been ignored. Um, but one of the things I really enjoyed about 400 Souls was, you know, just learning a lot about the African experience that, that I didn't know. And I thought I knew a fair amount um, I didn't know about the white lion, which arrives a year before the Mayflower. Um, you know, you get some really unique perspectives about um, some of my heroes. Um, Ida B. Wells has a wonderful um, essay in there. Um, well, there's a wonderful essay about Ida B. Wells, and she's just, she's somebody, she's one of my historical heroes. Um, but of course, there's Frederick Douglass, and there's many other names that you will be unfamiliar with, um, but the stories are equally compelling and, and very interesting. Um, so I would definitely recommend 400 Souls, Ibram X. Kendi, and Keisha N. Blaine. Today's book is The Art Thief by Michael Finkel. And um, this is a book that actually the comma, uh, the bookstore recommended in Linden Hills. 
Um, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, the, the story is essentially, I mean, it's, it's a true story, first of all, nonfiction. Um, Stefan Breitweiser, I believe is how you say his name. Um, he was a gentleman who was probably the most prolific art thief, um, stole over 200 paintings and um, paintings, artifacts, things, just kind of in general, just stole um, stuff out of museums. Um, at the end of his run, his uh, collection was worth about $2 billion. And uh, most of his thievery happened in broad daylight uh, without, you know, like the benefit of any of the things that you see, like an art heist movie kind of thing. Um, his accomplice was Anne Catherine, his um, girlfriend. And it's a, what happens, what Finkel does in this is he uh, interviews Brightweiser and also collects stories, obviously, from the news. Um, and you, he kind of re, reconstructs, I guess, the story of um, his fascination with art. Um, so Brightweiser doesn't ever sell any of the art. He just keeps it and keeps it around his house and admires it. Like the reason he steals it is because he is compelled and loves the art, um, not because he's driven by money. And in fact, he lives um, in the attic of his mother's home. Um, he lives very frugally um, and, um, and yet he's surrounded by, you know, this priceless art. Um, it's an interesting book. You know, it, um, it really gets into the psychology of kind of why he does what he does. Um, he has, Brightweiser has this kind of almost photographic memory for every one of the pieces and how he stole it. And so he walks you right through it. And a lot of it is him attempting to um, do things that art thieves normally wouldn't do. Um, you know, talking to security guards and, you know, you learn that he actually was a security guard at a museum for a time. So he has some kind of insider knowledge of how the security system works. Uh, he doesn't go after the Mona Lisa or Picasso's or those things. And in fact, he says he's not really attracted to that kind of art. Um, but obviously, I mean, the things he takes are very valuable as well. So, um, yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. It's, you know, fairly small. I think it's what maybe just over well yeah just about 200 pages pretty much on the nose uh, it reminded me of another book which is um michael blanding's the map thief and this is about a guy who steals maps um but he actually does sell them for financial gain as well um so it, it's kind of interesting the reading these two books i haven't read this one in a while it's been couple years. Um, but I would definitely, you know, if I, if I were constructing a class or something, I would do the art thief and the map thief. And we would kind of look at the, um, the reasons people steal and, um, how they're drawn to these things and then how they manage to get away with these. Um, you know, that's one of the, the more interesting things I think is, um, that they're able to get away with it as long as they are able to. So, um, Anyway, Michael Finkel's Art Thief, definitely recommend. Uh, today's book is Quackery, A Brief History of the Worst Ways to Cure Everything uh, by Lydia King and Nate Peterson. So this is um, 
one of my very favorite kind of nonfiction books, which is, you know, where each chapter is very self-contained. And so you can kind of, you know, read it very piecemeal if you want. But if you read it all together, it also tells a very interesting history and kind of story. Um, so basically, you know, this is, these are uh, treatments for ailments or, you know, things that we thought would make us healthier. Um, and almost all of them have been disproven by time. So the table of contents looks like this. Um, and, you know, there's some things that are obvious in here, you know, like they tell the story of uh, Coca-Cola having cocaine in it. And, um, you know, they tell all kinds of different stories, um, uses of leeches and, um, you know, things that you look at now and you're like, oh my God, how did we ever think that was a thing? Um, my very favorite has to do with strychnine. And the number of times strychnine comes up in here is really interesting. Um, they talk about how close strychnine is in relationship to caffeine, um, how they act kind of similarly. And so uh, strychnine used to be used as a stimulant, um, particular, particularly with um, athletes. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're poisoning them as they run, which is uh, terrible. So um, anyway, there's funny stories like that. There's also interesting tidbits like, um, apparently it was a treatment for a different kind of, um, mental conditions. Um, and Adolf Hitler was taking them, um, progressively through his time, which may explain some of his erratic behavior. I mean, he's also uh, just a mass murdering fuckhead as Eddie Ozard once said. Um, so there's that as well, but you know, they talk about alcohol and tobacco. Um, tobacco has some really interesting tidbits like, um, that is where, um, blowing smoke up someone's ass comes from. Um, so they used to believe in tobacco smoke enemas. Um, so you literally blew smoke up someone's ass. And, um, so those are kind of interesting. I mean, there's all kinds of, I mean, while it is an interesting snapshot of medicine and science as we thought it was, um, and then now with perspective, looking back on it and kind of laughing at it, um, there's also all kinds of interesting pop culture references and just things we say that come from a lot of these things as well. Um, and, and of course, stories, you know, George Washington's bloodletting and so many other examples of that also. Um, the authors also do a really good job of coming back around to some of the things that we um, did thought were kind of quackery and then now do again. Um, and fasting is one of those things um, that definitely has kind of come full circle. Um, some of the other um, like leeches, you know, is one of those things that was very common and then kind of uh, looked down upon and then now is used again. Um, and um, so, yeah, I would totally recommend it. It was a, it was a delightful read. Uh, quackery by Lydia King and Nate Peterson. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about me at my webpage, michaelmcbride.com, or on most social media platforms with the same handle, at Michael McBride. That's M-A-C-B-R-I-D-E, like Mac and Bride. Let me know what you're listening to, or if you read one of these books, leave me a comment and let me know what you thought. Have a great day.